I mean, writing a character on Instagram just sounds so cool. It's not like it's immediate. You can respond to things immediately. And it's also just such a small snapshot of someone's life. It's different than telling a, a, a narrative story about someone's life because you're seeing them through Instagram and what their story is through Instagram, which is a different way of storytelling than a movie. Instagram robots, artificial intelligence, and Carrie Fur, all on the podcast today. Carrie is a writer, editor, filmmaker, and a collaborator of ours. She's worked with us on several videos over the past year, mainly the videos where we do a lot of research and try and tackle a big topic. Some of the videos on our channel that she's worked on, Why Does Will Smith Have a YouTube Channel, Beam News, A Comprehensive Review, and other videos that look and feel like those videos. This week, we released a video on our YouTube channel about the future of storytelling, and more specifically, about a virtual influencer who was recently named to Time Magazine's top 25 most influential people on the internet. Her name is Little Michaela. She works with major brands and artists, has over 1.8 million followers on Instagram, but is in fact not a real person. On this podcast, we talked to Carrie about her origins as a filmmaker, film school and film festivals. And then in the second half of the conversation, we talk about artificial intelligence and the future of avatars on social media like little Michaela. Carrie is a talented filmmaker and one of our favorite people to collaborate with. So enjoy our conversation with Carrie Fur. All right. Today on the show, we are back in our studio and we are here with Carrie. Hello. Carrie is someone we're really excited to have on the podcast. I mean, I can't even count how many conversations we've had with you over the past year, but this is the first time we're actually recording the conversation. Yeah, that's, it's weird. I'm holding a mic right now. It feels strange, but <laughs> we'll work through it. So um, we just released a video about artificial intelligence. It's a video we've been working on for quite some time now, actually. And where did the idea come from? Like, where did, where did this start? The idea came from a post on Facebook I saw from Adweek about these fake influencers on Instagram. And it made no sense to me. I clicked on it, realized that there are a world, there is an entire world of fake Instagram robots or people that are acting as robots. I don't know. There's just this whole world of fake people on Instagram that are now integrating with brands as if they were real people. And so I sent it to Samir and texted him and just said, are we going to get replaced by robots? Yeah, I remember when you were doing research on it and you were looking it up and just being blown away. And you were like telling me the story about Lil Michaela and how she's this fake robot that has a whole story and like has drama in her life. And she was hacked. That, that was what got me when, I found, when we found out she was hacked. It was crazy. So generally, that's how our ideas come about. One of us sees something out there that just doesn't make sense and we need to look into it, do a research piece. We've been working with Carrie specifically for the past year on pieces like this um, where we get to go a lot more in depth on a topic. So let's uh, quickly get into your story, Carrie. Who yeah. are you? Uh, well, I am, uh, I would say, a filmmaker. I write and direct and edit and do photography. <laughs> so we first met Carrie because um, Colin and I were looking for editors, writers in the area here in downtown. Carrie actually went to USC. And, you know, USC Film School, if, for those of you who don't know, is one of the best film schools in, in the country. And so we just looked there and posted a posting on, on the SC job board. Yeah. And you're one of the people to re reply. And one thing that really stuck out to us is that 
um, you had made a film that was in a film festival um, called Girl Band, and we saw the website for it, and the branding is really, I think, what got us. We were like, wait a second. She knows what she's doing from like a visual storytelling perspective, um, is clearly a writer and a director, and that's what kind of attracted us to just even get a coffee and start the relationship. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I'm glad that you guys did. I'm glad you posted it. It's been great working with you guys. So ever since then, we've been working together on all types of different things for YouTube. We've kind of brought Carrie from the traditional filmmaking world, I think, to, to show her a little bit of our world, which is a lot on YouTube, and we've learned a lot from her about um, writing for, for film and just like traditional filmmaking techniques. So what's your background? You know, we just told everyone that you went to SC, you clearly went to film school, you're a filmmaker. Where does your filmmaking journey start, your content creation journey start? Um, well, I guess when I was like eight, I would just film with my dad's camera. I feel like that's a lot of people's story. Um, with my neighborhood friends and like we'd spend our whole summers shooting something and then spending the next few days in the basement editing it and then going out and doing another one. Um, and then I started applying to contests and I like actually made some money when I was younger doing it. So I was like, okay, this could be a career. Like I could, I'm making money when I'm younger doing it. I, I can do this when I'm an adult too. And my dad was in advertising. So I kind of had some media background and then USC was my dream school. I applied to that. And when I got in like that coming to LA was really great experience too and being around a lot of creative people too so I, I have a quick question for you what what when was this and what were you editing on at that time was it like iMovie oh wow yeah cool yeah and how were you making money what do you mean contests like like there's this website called Tongle it started back a while ago it's still up and running and does a lot of stuff but it's like commercial crowdsourcing so you like submit your videos I think now you like actually pitch for the videos but back then it was like you are given a prompt and a bunch of people go out and shoot them and you submit them and so I would do that with some of my friends and we won a couple of them and then I bought a better camera with that and yeah wow so that was enough money to actually like get yourself a camera and yeah wow yeah that's really cool and what were some of the stuff, like, what were some of the films you were making what was interesting to you when you first started I loved music videos we would do like me, oh, and me and my friends, too, in high school started, like, video announcements. So we would have, like, news that we talked about with the school where there's, like, a desk thing, and then we would do a special at the end, and we would make, like, parody videos all the time. They were like, so bad, but so much fun. <laughs> so we'd, like, recreate the lyrics, rewrite it, re-record it, and then shoot a video for it. And it's usually, like, related to the school, so it would be, like, the spring break video, and it was, like, a parody of some rap song. And were you uploading those to YouTube? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. They're, I think they're still on YouTube somewhere. Whoa. Yeah. That's awesome. So this is, uh, you know, when, when I was in high school or even before then, like, making videos, the way we would do it is we would actually just burn a DVD and bring it to school, and <laughs> then our friends could watch it on, like, their computers yeah, and stuff. Yeah. That's, like, that I sounds... Have, I still have DVDs at home with all different types of videos on them. It, it sounds insane, but I have, like, my high school uh, senior project from film that was on a DVD. Yeah, which is like the, an insane and now it's like, dog. how do you even play a DVD? Like you can, you, don't. you yeah, you just don't. <laughs> you have to have yeah, a, you cannot play a DVD anymore. <laughs> Carrie, at what point did you decide then that you wanted to take this to the next level and, and go to film school? I, I think like pretty early on, because I just had so much fun making them, making movies and stuff. Like it just seemed, it's like if you can make money doing that and you enjoy it, like obviously I'm a treasure. And I think it helps that my dad is in that world. Like my parents saw it as a viable career. I think a lot of people parents don't like think it's a harder career, which it is a hard career, especially when you're doing freelance and you don't have like a specific job that you go into every day. 
But yeah, I would love to hear about that. You know, you went to film school. What was that experience like at film school? And then what was your mentality getting out? Did you think I have to get a job at an ad agency making videos or, or how did you navigate that after school? Yeah, well, in school, I think the best thing about being in school was meeting all the people that I still work with now and um, making those connections. And I really liked the like theoretical classes about like storytelling and stuff too. Like I think USC did a really good job of like their critical studies classes are really interesting. I learned a lot from those and the production classes too, but we were limited with our supplies there. But um, after school, I didn't really consider a full-time job right away because I was doing, I did a lot of freelance in school. Like I was shooting behind the scenes tour videos and music videos and stuff for people and getting paid to do it. So I kind of just kept that track going. It was hard though in the beginning. It was really hard to, I did a lot of stuff for free. Mm -hmm. And then it started picking up and started getting more regular work. But it's really just through meeting people. Then you meet somebody who you did a video for and they're looking for their friends, looking for a video. And it's all just like word of mouth. Did any of your projects that you did for free end up leading to paid work? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, one of my friends, um, I did like YouTube music stuff with her and then she got signed to a label and then the label started paying me to do her behind the scenes videos and stuff. Was that Rozzy? No, that wasn't Rozzy, but I did do stuff for Rozzy as well. Got yeah, it. you guys met Rozzy at the YouTube. Yeah, we, we met a musician named Rozzy um, at, a, at YouTube. And supposedly you were there yeah. at YouTube Space on the same day. There's a chance that we met. Yeah, maybe in line at the food truck. <laughs> probably, yeah, yeah. yeah, probably. So um, y- you've also done something that we've always wanted to do. Um, we have yet to do, but it's put a film in a film festival, and you made that project while you were still at SC, correct? Yeah. Well, we'd started the concept like my sophomore year of college, and then it went through a bunch of iterations, and we shot it like right after we graduated, or maybe a year after we graduated. I don't know, actually. But we started the project in college. We actually did a web series that we shot, or we shot the first two episodes, and we never released it. (laughs) It was very bad. And then we finally discovered the format that it is now. And so now it's or the first format that we saw. It's like a 12 minute yeah. film. Yeah. And it's a proper short film. The concept is it's called Girl Band. The concept is about a uh, girl band uh, <laughs> who is essentially trying to go on tour and trying to convince the grandma of one of the members to let her go on tour. Did I do a good job yeah, of explaining perfect, that? Okay. Perfect. Great. <laughs> exactly. It's, it. And it's a funny, funny scene, but it kind of sets up uh, a series and you guys took it to. Tribeca, correct? Yeah. Film festival. And then what what happened? What was that experience like? Yeah. Tell us about that. Well, because before we shot the film, we were shopping around the idea. And these like we were just young and thought that we could get it sold right out of college. And we didn't have anything to show for it. And so we created the film because we wanted to show people what was in our heads and like and prove that we had it was a proof of concept. And so we didn't initially intend to submit it to festivals. We were just going to show it to all the people we'd been talking to being like, pay us and we'll make a more of this. And uh, then we decided to submit it to festivals after we finished it, because why not? And we got rejected from a bunch and then heard about Tribeca and we were freaking out about that. Um, but after Tribeca, or like when we went to Tribeca, we emailed so many people, because they had like a whole list of all of the, the entertainment industry people who are attending the festival. And so we emailed a ton of those um, 
contacts and one of them called us he was an agent and he called us and was like you guys like what you guys you girls want to take me to drinks what are you guys talking about and like he's like I've never gotten an email like this before and we just thought that was like normal that's what we thought people do and like he, he just thought that it was the craziest thing and thought that our he liked our film and was like come meet me when you come uh to New York so we met went and met with him and clicked with him really well and he's like I want to help you guys like he seemed to get what we were going for and so um, then he kind of like set us up with some meetings while we were in New York, and it was just like extremely exciting for us. We were like freaking out. That must have been absolutely surreal. Yeah, it was like the Tribeca was an amazing, amazing experience. It was so much fun, and like we just met so many people. It felt like a lot of doors opened for us. It felt like entourage. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was so much fun. We were just like in a new city. Like I'd never been to New York before, and like it was great. It was so much fun. And so what, what type of advice would you give for someone who has an idea and they like dream of putting it into a film festival or what advice would you give us as we look to, you know, put something in a festival one day? Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say shoot what you have. If you have a big idea, spend some time and develop it. And like, I mean, th with, with ours, we refined it so many times too. Like we went through a million drafts of it before we actually shot it. Cause we put a lot of money into it as well. It was like a planned out long project, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times it's really hard to prove the concept that's in your head. You just have to go out and make it in order to show somebody that it has some, some substance to it. So you've made, you know, movies for that, that play on a big screen and film festivals. What attracted you initially to, to respond to us and, and want to get involved in creating YouTube videos or, or the type of videos that we were making? Yeah, well, I, I, what I really liked about you guys when I first met you is how much you post and how often you do it that it really inspired me and like it still does too like you're always creating and always releasing it. and in film school I feel like there's a bit of a different feeling there like you spend a long time on one script and then you go and shoot one movie whereas like you, I don't know I think it's really cool just like posting it and it, it gives YouTube gives you the opportunity to post a lot and to learn from it very quickly um, so that, and that I guess that inspired me the most about working with you guys yeah and I think as we first started working together you know, if you've been watching our channel, you've seen a video we made about Will Smith that uh, is one of our one of our better performing videos. A video that we made about Beam that opened up a lot of doors for us and allowed us to meet a lot of people. But that's actually not where our relationship started. Yeah. Um, even the video that we just released about artificial intelligence, the style of that has been an evolution mm -hmm. uh, of a year. And 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 when we first started working together, the show was completely different and, and the idea was completely different yeah, yeah we, we had a show called what's good and it was a clip show just about good news that's where we started with this relationship it was good it <laughs> was a great show and it's it actually fun. unlisted on our channel you can't even find those episodes anymore because we felt like it was so different <laughs> from everything that we were trying to do but i think our mentality early on especially when working with you we were like well let's make a show let's put it on the youtube <laughs> channel and maybe we'll sell it yeah even though it was like a five minute show about <laughs> memes and funny videos on instagram Granted, we only did, what, four episodes? Mm -hmm. We yeah. didn't do that many episodes. Like, mm -hmm. it, it could have built over yeah. time, for yeah, sure. Yeah. We just didn't give it enough time. We were yeah. too impatient. Well, we, we, our subject matter changed a bit. Yeah, yeah. that's true. But I think when we, you know, what we did is we started diving into one topic. When yeah. We did one week where we talked all about sleep. Um, that was a good one. And that was a really good one. And I think when we realized, wow, if we go deeper into one topic, it's a little bit more interesting. Yeah. And today, that's, that's kind of the type of videos we make together now. I think we realized also in the beginning that we really aligned with your editing style. You edit really quick, and you're really, really good at researching. 
you know, we would lay the groundwork for one of these topics, but you would watch video after video and pull really, really good source material. So the combination of us together was this just really, really strong writing team is what yeah. it came down to, really. Yeah, and, and it, was, it was nice to be able to meet and then talk about all the research, and I feel like we would develop ideas even further there. Like, I remember I would come over, right before the Beam one, we sat down and we, like, mapped it all out, and then you went off and did it, and it just, yeah, it flows really well. Yeah, and just, just for reference, if uh, you don't know the video we're referring to, um, it's a video that we made about Casey Neistat's company, Beam, and it was our first video on our channel to get over 50,000 views. And it, and it happened, I mean, to get even over 15,000 or 10,000 views, really. Yeah, that's true. So it was, it was kind of our first big uh, video that, that brought us new audience and had, you know, the people at Beam reached out to us. It's really led to almost everything that we're doing now, considering, you know, we got linked up with Beam and then Jack Coyne and went on the road with him and during that time met Yes Theory. And since then, we've just met and collaborated with all these people because of that initial Beam video. Yeah, it was that video was exciting when it was get, doing well. Because I remember yeah. Beam posted some, like, viral video that was, like, a live reading of the tax thing. Yep. And after that happened, your video went it, up. Yeah, it picked up. Because it was a, probably in the related yep. suggested videos. Which was really fascinating. But I think the biggest lesson from just us working together is if you want to find your own style, and we get this question all the time, how do you find your own style as a filmmaker or as a content creator? Putting out more, just like what you just said, is yeah. creating more, that's what leads to finding your style. Because again, we started in a completely different place. And four weeks in, uh, you know, had we just decided to stop, the, like we stopped the show that we were working on, had we just decided to stop completely, we would have never ended up with the style we have today, which I think we're all really excited about. And even sitting and editing and working on this piece that, about artificial intelligence, the style has evolved even in the past month. Yeah. And it, it's continuing to evolve. And it's possible that it will evolve again. Um, but that's, that's the way that, that the style is created. And, you know, the video we made about Will Smith now has over... 200,000 plus views and that style was completely different and it was an evolution of the one we made about Beam and yeah. um, you know I think I think it also pays a lot of tribute to the fact that um, you know we we spend a lot of time in the writing for these videos mm -hmm. and when we when we spend a lot of time in the writing and then we you do you know the like for this video specifically did the voiceover take a look at the voiceover and think about the shots that need to happen like it allows for more time to actually develop a style of the video. And one of the things I love about working with you, Carrie, is that, you know, we'll write together, we'll write the essay, and then, you know, Samir and I will host it, we'll deliver it, but you really fill a lot of the gaps with the footage that you pull, and you pull footage that we wouldn't pull yeah. because you watch different content than we watch. Yeah. So it's really fun to see what you come back with because it's just about people and, and it's in certain places on YouTube that I wouldn't go watch. And yeah. that's really enjoyable. <laughs> I've learned a lot about YouTube from finding those source videos and, and finding like what I click on and what I find interesting and I don't like how that works, how all of those videos are connected. But what have you learned about YouTube just since we've been working together? Like it's been what a year now? Yeah. Yeah. So well, yeah, maybe probably. more. Think so. Yeah, so tell us about like what you've learned from YouTube just as a place, as a community, creating content for YouTube, how it differs from creating it for, you know, the big screen or yeah. has it changed the way that you make content? Are you making more? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. It inspires me all the time to make more. YouTube definitely does. I mean, I think the first thing that I remember about, like, learning from you guys about YouTube is how there should be no space in between each cut. And and also, I was just shocked by the concept of jump cuts. Like, you can yeah. just, like, cut to cut from one shot to the same exact shot and get rid of the middle, and, like, people are okay with it. I guess Jenna Marbles mm -hmm. did that, and, like, it worked really well. And so, but... um yeah, so the, the quick cuts. I remember the first cut that I brought in. You're like, just even more. You can get rid of even more space in between. And I was like, okay, okay, yeah. And so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's but funny. That, that was like the initial thought of YouTube. And then like I think as it went on, r figuring out how to get to the point really quick mm -hmm. as soon as possible. But like still, you obviously need some context. And you need to like make them interested. But having a strong thesis and getting to it quickly on YouTube, I feel like it's important and in anything really like mm -hmm. and I think that it's taught me a lot about editing these videos has taught me a lot about writing narrative even because like the act one two and threes in what we do I feel like it it's just given me a lot of experience with like how an act two feels and like the the rise of sections that we always do like has taught I use that concept and that feeling and that idea of a rise of um, I don't know if that if people will understand what that means. But. So the, the rise of section refers to in these analytical pieces that we make, we generally always give you some history about what we're talking about. So in the Will Smith video, we say, but wait, first, let's give you a history of Will Smith. Yeah. And those sections are generally very fast paced. They have a hard rock beat behind them. And we now call those the rise of sections because yeah. it shows you how the person or the, the topic that we're covering has gotten to the place that it is today. And the breast rise of sections that we have are the ones with conflict in them too. Like with Will Smith is he spent all of his money like mm -hmm. right after he made it all in the tax and the government was after him. Right. And like for, for Casey, it was, he start he went daily mm -hmm. and he, whenever he considered quitting, he decided that he, it keeps the fire lit under him to keep going. Yeah. So I think, I think that's also a tactic though, that's used in, in filmmaking. Like if, I don't know, I think of, um, you know, like a movie like Goodfellas or like even like I, Tanya, if you, if anyone saw I, Tanya recently, like anyone who has a successful trajectory, the most fun part is watching their success go from like zero to a hundred. Yeah. That's a really fun part of a movie. That thing you do, if you've seen that movie, like yeah. when they're becoming famous, that's really fun to watch. Yeah, the classic sports movie has that in yeah. it. Yeah, and a lot of times in those movies, there's a hard rock beat or yeah. some sort of driving beat that's making yeah. everything move faster. It's a montage, yeah. it's more exciting. And the newspapers come flying in. Yeah. Exactly. The stats, yeah. 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 That's like a really fun part to watch. So, uh, yeah, I mean, again, this this whole thing, it's been a collaboration and it's been a development over time. So I would say if you're looking to develop your own style or if you're looking to collaborate with others, give it time and, and allow yourselves to create more and create often. And if something's not working, like create through it, create your way out of it. Yeah. Meaning yeah. like you're like, oh man, I don't like this. Keep making it, keep yeah. writing it, rewriting it, shooting it, reshooting it, editing it, re-editing it, and you'll find the thing you really like. I think... In, it's not like an essay in that you don't just have words. You have footage that you can pull. You have music, sound effects. You have all of these different things you can use to tell the story. Yeah. So that's where I was thinking about this term last night, that I feel like I could edit my way out of anything. I totally get that. No matter what footage yeah. you give me, uh -huh. if you tell me you have to make a story about that, I could figure it out. Yeah. 
I, I know exactly that. Yeah. Like, you're like, oh, well, there's always something you can add into it. Like, you can even put an effect on it if it really needs something or, like, reverse the clip if you need more footage. Like, totally. do something. Uh, and I think that's a really interesting lesson you learn from filmmaking and editing, which is being really solution-based. Um, and whether it's filmmaking or, you know, any other creative project or anything else, there's always a solution and a way to make it what you want it to be. It might not be exactly what you thought initially, and you know, let's talk about this piece itself, the piece about artificial intelligence. Colin just pulled up the first draft of this. It's completely different. Yeah. And there's always gonna be a, a solution to tell the story and it's, it only happens through continuing to work and create and uh, you know, reiterate it until it's exactly what you want it to be. So l let's talk a little bit about this artificial intelligence piece that we made. Um, this piece is, has been in the works for some time, like we said. And it, and it started with Colin finding uh, an influencer named Lil Michaela, or someone sending me Lil Michaela. I think it was oh, yeah. you. I yeah. sent you a post about Lil Michaela. Yeah. So so oh. call the title was "This Robot Is Stealing Your Brand Deals" or something. <laughs> it's very specific to advertising. Um, a lot of times, influencers on Instagram, YouTube, all these social platforms, they will represent a brand and sell it to you. And this headline just made no sense to me that there was a robot operating <laughs> on Instagram who was stealing everyone else's deals. Okay, so if you're in a place right now where you can have your phone in your hand, take it out, open Instagram, and look up Lil Michaela, L-I-L-M-I-Q-U-E-L-A. Lil Michaela has 1.2 million followers. And uh, I, it's so hard for me to like seriously talk about this, but... Lil Michaela is not real. Well, I guess she, I don't know. She, it's a how dare you? <laughs> so <laughs> Lil Michaela um, is supposedly a 19-year-old musician who lives in Los Angeles, I believe. But she is made by a team of writers and graphic artists by a company based in LA called Brud. So the graphic artists will come up with a image of her, place her in real-life situations throughout L.A., sometimes with celebrities, and then the copywriters will come up with really, really believable copy. And this has been... I'm not quite sure how long this has been going on for, but she has 1.2 million followers. She integrates with brands like Prada. She recently was on a billboard in Hollywood for a company called Outdoor Voices, and she was in this... On this she was on this billboard with two real women, and then she was in the middle, and they were all working out. And it didn't say anything about her being fake or anything like that. If you were to just drive by, you would assume, of course, those are three real women working out in this ad. She looks real. She really does. I mean, you can tell when you're looking at the Instagram, kind of, but like, there's some where she's very, very passable as a human. And she has this entire narrative. And Carrie, I feel like you could describe it better than I could, but what's her creation story? Yeah, well, it... There's so much drama to it, to it, which is makes it so interesting. But she, I think that the like highlight of it is when she was hacked by that. The what's the other character's name? Bermuda. Bermuda. Bermuda is a totally different version of her. She's not as progressive. She's like supports like gun so, rights and. <laughs> yeah. So this this gets out of hand quickly. But yeah. they're actually this company Broad has made three different fake Instagram influencers. One of which is Bermuda, who is. Pro-Trump, conservative. Yeah. And then you have little Michaela, who's very progressive. Uh, she's an activist. She actually raises money. She does actually raise money for progressive causes. And then 
finally, little Michaela has a brother named Blocko, who I don't know as much about. But anyway. Little Michaela is the most popular. Little Michaela is the most popular with the most intense storyline. Yeah. Right, that people have been following for a while now. Yeah, so her storyline was that she was hacked by Bermuda, and Bermuda was like, t- told everybody on her Instagram that she's not, that Lil Michaela is a robot and not a real person. And this is supposedly the first time Lil Michaela is finding out that she's not a real person. That she found out from this hack that she's actually a robot, and it was devastating for her. And it, there were several posts, and I would say there was like a whole month where she was just really confused in her Instagram. Like her captions were, how her life was crazy and she was dealing with a lot and it was a lot to process and she felt betrayed by her creators and it was an insane story. It was, in a way, relatable. Yeah. Because you thought about yourself, what if all of a sudden I found out I was a robot? I would probably go through this in a similar type of way. Yeah, it was and a there were period. Tons of people, there were tons of people following her that were very sympathetic to what she was going through, as if she was a real person really going through this experience of finding out she was a robot. Yeah. It's, it is a good story to follow. She's, she's gotten it over, over it a little bit more now. She yeah, I think she's sinking into her own yeah, identity. Accepting it. Yeah. So when I saw this, I was, like, really blown away. I was especially blown away to see that Lil Michaela had done a brand deal with Prada. And yeah. that's what really kind of blew my mind, the concept that, you know, this is, this is not a human, but, but there are humans behind this. But they're creating something that has value from a storytelling perspective and, and, you know, therefore to brands and to advertisers to actually advertise with them. I mean, Lil Michaela can wear anything, right? Yeah. Lil Michaela can, obviously she can wear Prada, but then she can also wear, you know, a, a, a Rolex watch if you want. She can wear, like, she can wear whatever she wants. She can wear Gucci sunglasses. They can just, the graphic designers can just create her however they want. And she has a serious amount of influence and exposure, 1.2 million followers. How many likes does she get on a, on a photo? 60,000. 60,000. I mean, that's significant. Yeah. You know, f- that, that's really, and 678 really significant. comments. People engage in like intense conversations about like robot rights and stuff. And they're like, she's not even a robot. And people are like, yeah, but just what if she was? But the interesting thing is that little Michaela actually responds to a lot of the people that follow her. And that's something that real life influencers don't do. So in a way, there are some people who are getting more of a connection from a fake account or a fake person on Instagram than they would a real celebrity who never would be able to respond to some of the comments, Yeah, which I think is really interesting. I have a quote here pulled up from Nylon Magazine. It says, unlike most Instagram-bred artists who appear painstakingly unattainable, little Michaela frequently interacts with her fans. She replies to comments on her posts, DMs, and even G-chats, building an army of fans. She makes her followers feel like they know her. That's insane. I mean, but that's what makes her so valuable to brands because not every influencer can even do that. Like, it does require a lot of skill to tell a story on Instagram about yourself and make it personal and make it interesting to everybody. And uh, we were talking earlier about how Lil Michaela is perfect for, like, a fashion-forward brand like Prada. Like, she's, she's somebody who's... It's a riskier concept, and, like, she... Is, is a cool person to it. Whereas like there, some of the other characters that they create could be better for other brands. And like it's, this company could, has the option to build so many different types of personalities that would be good for so many different brands and fit a lot of people. So, so the concept of Lil Michaela um, was something that we initially talked about. And then the concept of Google Assistant, 
also came out around yeah. the same time. And Google Assistant really blew my mind because, you know, they're, they're standing up there and they're showing you how it operates and it's, it's operating like a human. I mean, it's, it, it, Google Assistant is essentially like Siri or Amazon Alexa. It's like this voice command robot that can call, like the, the example they gave is that calls a barbershop or a hair salon and makes an appointment for someone. And it's able to actually decipher if the time is going to work based on the Google calendar. So it's able to say like, no, 3 p.m. doesn't work. Um, let's do 12 p.m. And they're able to actually have a conversation about what time the appointment should be at the salon. And everyone's cheering and, and getting really excited. But to me, I'm like, wow, this is going to replace a lot of people. If this thing actually can get smarter and smarter and um, can learn about the person it's assisting, I mean, it's it, it can do a lot more uh, than a human assistant and be much more, uh, quote unquote, efficient. Um, that's a pretty scary thought. So when you pair these two things together, that's where, you know, our minds really started working. When you pair the technology of a of a Google assistant that can operate like a human with the graphic design capability and, and the visual storytelling of Instagram, th there's a possibility here for a completely computer generated and operated influencer. Yeah. It's far away away, but it'll happen one day. There's a market for it. Yeah, so I think what Little Michaela shows is that th there is a market for these sort of fake people on Instagram. And because they are fake and there's a team behind them right now, they can respond to people in ways that real people actually can't on Instagram. And so when we saw what happened with Google Assistant, it got us thinking, like Samir said, what if you could pair this... AI machine learning technology with someone like little Michaela. Obviously there's a market for it. The thing is like little Michaela, she responds to people, but it's still a human that has to do the responding. So we, we talked a lot about the, a, a robot has the ability to do that all day long and can respond to every single DM, which is something that a human could never do. And a robot also has the ability to analyze a lot of, the data and analyze what photos are doing the best. And like, there are tools for us to do that, but a robot can probably see more with inside of that and then adapt to it in a different way that a human could. If little Michaela was to actually one day be a robot and not have humans behind her writing the stories and making the graphics, robots would need to be able to tell a good story. Yeah. So we started looking into, well, is this actually happening anywhere? Are there robots using AI to make content. And what we found was that there is some of that out there. News organizations currently use a program called Wibbits, where a computer will take key headlines and add video and photo to it and make their own quick video posts. Like think like TMZ or like the Weather Channel. It's like quick, simple videos. When you watch them, there is no, it feels like there's no human yeah, element to really them does. currently. But in a way, they're creating content and they are making some sort of a story and it's a computer who's telling this story. To take it a step further, we found a story about a screenplay written by a robot. And this robot was called Benjamin, and basically what they did was they fed the robot a bunch of science fiction screenplays. And it sort of came up with key words, key trends, and generated its own original screenplay, which was then acted out by Thomas Middleditch, from HBO's Silicon Valley. Yeah. 
It it's a pretty crazy video. It doesn't make much sense. It doesn't make much sense at all. So here is an instance where there is a robot trying to tell a story. It's not great, but AI is progressing extremely quickly. I think Elon Musk said that like the threat of AI is 10 times more grave than the threat of nuclear war. Yeah. That computers are coming along so quickly, AI is moving so fast that at some point, actually, computers will be able to think cognitively at levels that exceed humans, right? Yeah. So I think when we saw some of that, we thought, all right, well, eventually in the future, there will be computers that can write good stories. And when we looked at Benjamin, who wrote this screenplay as a robot, we thought, well, what if you fed the robot instead of science fiction plays, or instead of science fiction screenplays, you fed this robot data about influencers on Instagram and what people actually respond to? Then you may actually have some sort of robot or computer that could generate stories like little Michaela is currently putting out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you consider the fact that AI or machine linear learning could actually figure out which posts perform the best, which lines of copy perform the best, and that's already happening, right? I mean, there's already data companies looking into that. Yeah. So you just feed that into a computer. It sounds like it, it could happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, we can't really brush by the fact that Lil Michaela is also an artist, uh, musical artist. Yeah. Lil Michaela has a Spotify page. <laughs> And uh, she's actually pretty popular. Her top song has 1.5 million streams. It's called Not Mine. Uh, this is what it sounds like. So. So, Lil Michaela is like a musical artist, too, that potentially could go on tour yeah. and play shows. And you actually could go a lot deeper and sell merchandise and sell, um, you know, music and make music video. I mean, like, you can do whatever you want once you build the brand of little Michaela. But how do you put Michaela in the physical form? Yeah. Oh, I mean, come on. Tupac played that's Coachella. Yeah. Yeah, that's what about the gorillas? They don't have too many videos right now of little Michaela, though. Most of her stuff is, like, photos. So I feel like they'd need to... Yeah, but Brud is hiring. Yeah. <laughs> Brud is hiring. Okay, did we, so Brud is the you know Brud is the company that created Lil Michaela. Brud is hiring. If you go on their Instagram, which is Brud.fyi, it's it says they're hiring, and um, obviously they they have seen some value here. They want to create more of these type of influencers, and they probably want to do different things with them, like turn them into video format. Like, could Lil Michaela have a YouTube channel? Yeah. Why not? Why not? Yeah. I mean, she, it would probably like be fascinating. I mean, they're writing great storylines. Little Michaela is just a team of talented storytellers. You know, if she heard that, she wouldn't like it. Yeah. But that's the reality it's is that it's just a really, really good story that's playing out in short form copy on Instagram across a long period of time. Yeah. And a good character. So, She's yeah. just a cool person. There's so I, I, have, I have a question. Yeah. What what makes Lil Michaela different than like a uh, a cartoon, like an animated cartoon well, character? She looks she looks like CGI, like realistic. And she'll interact with you. Yeah, she'll interact with you. That's true. Yeah, because yeah, I'm just thinking, she like, talks you about know, current events. She reacts in real time to stuff that you're watching on the news. 
She That's believes, true. She believes in causes that you may believe in or not. Because it's almost like the cartoon character for the older generation, meaning like my young cousin loves Dora the Explorer. That's what it is, right? Or is it Explorer. Oh, it would be way better Explora? if it was Explorer. <laughs> Dora the Explorer. Yeah, like Explorer, be better, but I don't I think that's what it is. That's not what you it is? Say okay. it that way if you All like. All right, so Dora. She loves Dora um, a lot. And like any, if Dora said anything on a YouTube channel... She would do it, right? She's like, yeah. that's like an influencer for her. Yeah, yeah. Um, she oh, I buys... get what you mean because the person doesn't exist in real life. Exactly. Okay, yeah. yeah. So it's like it's like the adult version of yeah. Dora the yeah. Explorer, mm-hmm. right? Explorer. So, but so obviously, you know, there's room for more Disney characters. Always, yeah. there's room for more cartoons. There's room for more Barneys. Yeah. And I know this is different because this person looks like us, looks like a human, but it's similar concept of something that can live on forever, a brand that can live on forever and communicate messaging to people. But when you bring in social media, there's an immediate response. Like what you were saying, like the DMs, like Dora is not DMing my cousin. Not that I know of, but like that's (laughs) not happening. Nor can Dora react as quickly as the team of writers around little Michaela. True. So Brud is hiring. Um, There are, there's clearly more that can happen with this. Um, th- there's more that can happen with AI and, and, and with influencers. One that I have to bring up is Lil Mayo. Lil Mayo is not CGI, <laughs> uh, but Lil Mayo, Lil Mayo is like an alien. I don't know. There's a whole world of these influencers that are just really good storylines, but are um, you know not actually human beings shown in the photographs. Yeah. Um, and I think that brings up a, a, a conversation around storytelling that I wanted to talk about, which is, you know, storytelling, writing, traditionally, when you're growing up, if you hear, I want to be a writer, um, or I am a writer, or I'm a storyteller, you think books and movies, right? Um, but today, the doors have opened. You can write for Lil Michaela now, it feels like. Yeah. And so what, what does this mean for the future of, of a writer? And Carrie, you told us earlier that you would love to work at yeah. Brud and write there. You make, like, movies. Yeah. So explain to us, why would you want to work for Brud? I think... Because because I think because of what we were talking about earlier, how you can respond to current events immediately. And it's something where you don't have to write it and then go into production and shoot it and then edit it before it can come out. So it's it social media. I mean, writing a character on Instagram just sounds so cool. It's not like it's immediate. You can respond to things immediately. And it's also just such a small snapshot of someone's life. It's different than telling a, a a narrative story about someone's life because you're seeing them through Instagram and what their story is through Instagram, which is a different way of storytelling than a movie. So I, I would love a job at Brud. <laughs> so knowing everything that you know now about little Michaela and Brud and this entire world of robots on Instagram, do you actually see a future where that's considered normal? Where you will open up Instagram and will really not know Who's real? Who's fake? Yeah, totally. I mean, why why would it not go that way if it can brands would benefit from it? I mean, there's advertising involved in it, and I feel like advertising is really what drives a lot of markets. If you can advertise with, like, Brud has such an incentive because if they create more and more and they have an army of these things, or I don't know what to call them. I don't, don't want to be politically incorrect, but um, if they have if they have a ton of... <laughs> politically incorrect <laughs> to a robot? Robots? Were you just yeah. concerned about offending a yeah, robot? I mean, See, that's the scary... That's, like, the scary part yeah. of all this. It's and that's weird. how it sounds it's in weird. the comments, too. 
A yeah. lot of people defend her, and I know we got to pull up wild. all those comments. They're yeah, let's crazy. Read, let's read some comments. Let's read some copy and some comments <laughs> oh, from a, Lil Michaela. Here's a good one. Confusing times always lead to confusing feelings, and what you're doing now, thinking it out, is good. Even if it's never the same, it's still good to know that because of, because of that you know more. Here's somebody. It was a photo that she had of um, all of her belongings on the ground, which is also just like so easy for brand integration. There's like a, an iPhone and a book and dentine ice gum in the photo and somebody comments if your phone is on the ground how did you manage to take this picture do you have like two phones or something Lil McHill responds with a light bulb <laughs> emoji and then someone's like right because pictures can only be taken with phones shake my head people nowadays oh my gosh <laughs> and she's like she took it with her eyeballs somebody said and then someone else says no she can probably take pictures with her eyes or something I love her I'm not trying to be robot discriminatory <laughs> It's a concern. People are thinking about it. So the stories are good. People feel like they know her. They have some sort of attachment to her. But again, she's not actually a robot. She's made by a team of humans. But after looking through the research about AI and machine learning and a computer's ability to tell a story, how much faith do you have in a computer eventually to take over this type of storytelling? I mean, I think it's kind of a weird situation because you don't really want a robot to be better than writing than you are. Yeah. So, like, it would, it feels like it would be a, a big threat. It's it's cool to think about, but it, if you really think about it deeply, it's a threat. Like, will the job of artist, will the job of writer, filmmaker ever actually be taken over yeah. by computers? Because computers know so much. They've analyzed so much data about how real humans react to certain art that they can make art that's better and creates more reactions yeah and that's the question sort of we're posing in this latest video is just what if this were to happen because it seems like no matter what ai is progressing so quickly of course it's going to progress on the storytelling side so wouldn't it just make sense to pair a computer's storytelling ability with a face like little Michaela. Yeah. I think it's going to make a lot of people mad. If they look through, they're going to be like, this person's not real. And then there's going to be a whole side of people who are like, but you can't like think about them differently because they're not real. Yeah. I could see people, especially from the advertising perspective. Yeah. Right. Like I said, who I was in Hollywood and little Michaela's on a billboard with two other women who I think are real. But imagine if there's, if you follow little Michaela and you don't know that she's not real. Yeah. And you're buying things that she's telling you to buy. You're signing petitions that she's telling you to sign. And you really actually don't know who's behind this face telling yeah. you to do these things or what their motives are. Yeah. It's just like ripe for a conspiracy theory. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> Samir, what are you getting into over there? <laughs> I was just reading some DMs, actually, because I, I, I was just starting to think about the fact that Lil Michaela responds to all of her DMs. And I was like, man, we should respond to our DMs. That's basically it. And I'm not freaked out. Like, are we going to get replaced? Is yeah, there going to be like you're a... you're not going to respond fast enough. Yeah, like, we're not going to respond fast enough, you know? And then, like, there's going to be a new robot calling in Samir. It's okay. I DM'd a little Michaela on May 14th and said, will you actually respond to this? Nothing. But little Michaela's not a robot. She's still run by a human, you know? Yeah. So, like, but what about when she, if it can actually respond? Respond to, to every single one. So yeah. she already, be, because she has a team around her, she responds to way more people than an actual celebrity 
that would have 1.8 million yeah. followers. But yeah, once she's, this is ridiculous to say, once she's an <laughs> actual robot. If that ever happens. She could over. theoretically respond to everyone. Yeah. yeah. And then, like, that's a big threat to another influencer. Yeah, as you could tell, we were shocked by this whole concept, and we've just been researching it for weeks and getting really <laughs> deep into the world of Brud, Little Michaela, fake influencers, machine learning. Yeah. It's just been fascinating. I've talked to a lot of people about Little Michaela. Yeah, I've, I've brought Little Michaela up almost in every conversation, uh, <laughs> just because I think it's fascinating. But it's also good promotion for our YouTube video, which is what I'll bring up now. If you haven't checked out our video on YouTube about artificial intelligence, check it out. We put the link in the description for this podcast. And, uh, you know, it's a shorter version of this conversation. Um, you can also check out the work that we've done together, which is, you know, embodied in that video, as well as some of those other videos, um, you know, the research style desk videos where we go deep on one topic. So Carrie, what was your experience being on our podcast? It was, it was great. I liked it. It, it. You get into the flow of it after a certain t- amount of time. Yeah, there's a point where you kind of forget yeah. that you're recording a podcast. And holding which, a microphone in yep. your hand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, so where can everyone check out your work? Uh, my Instagram or my website, uh, Fur K-E-R-R-Y-F-U-R-R-H, dot com. Or no, dot net. Dot com was stolen from me. Dot net is really cool. It's like retro. Yeah. yeah. .net is really cool. Is it? And what are you working on in the future? What what can we expect outside of these uh, research um, pieces you're doing with us? I mean, a lot of music videos, I do that a lot. Uh, girl band, we're continually developing, and hopefully it will be on TV one day. Um, short films, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. So make sure to check out Carrie. We'll link her um, Instagram and website as well in the description. Check her out and check out our YouTube video. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about the topic on artificial intelligence. And that's it for the podcast this week. Signing off. Thanks for having me, guys. So watch our video on YouTube if you haven't already. Check out the other videos that we've done with Carrie on our channel. All of those videos are in a playlist on our channel titled, We Like to Talk About YouTube. We also want to give a shout out to Madison Dye. He works behind the scenes on this podcast and has really helped us bring it to life. So the lesson there, collaborate with others to bring your ideas to life. Well, I I guess do that until we get replaced by robots like Lil Michaela. I think that's a pretty far way away. I think we're pretty close. We're fine. And lastly, if you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast. Also, our podcast is on Spotify now, so you can subscribe there. You can rate and review our podcast wherever you listen to our podcast. Just said podcast a lot. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Colin and Samir podcast.